0: Broadcast our pirate signaler back into the Matrix.
1: EscapingTheCave.com, also on the ChristopherMedia.net network.
2: Thank you, com- comrades.
0: Comrade. Lock! I got him! Now. <laughs> of Tonsillophiles, and welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave. I'm your cordial host, Todd. Hi. Happy Halloween week. <laughs> You know, I've decided something. I'm giving you plenty of notice here. Next year, I'm either going to throw, attend, or be on the planning committee for a trigger treat party. Not trick. Oh no, I didn't say trick or treat. Trigger treat. (laughs) I know a lot of you know What this is already, I'm usually late to the party. I'm not hip, partially because I hardly ever leave the house. But I did find out this week that there is a thing called a trigger treat party where you go dressed up intentionally to trigger as many social justice warrior whiners as you possibly can. I love this idea. I have not dressed up for Halloween since 1992. Since the Daddy Bush administration, I went as the Pope with a bullet hole in his forehead. Blood everywhere. It was great. I worked at a bar down in Indiana. Got a lot of, I think, appropriate attention for that costume. Anyway, haven't done it. I will next year. If we can put this together. If we can put this together. And you are all cordially invited. Whether or not I let you know where it's at is another story. But you are all cordially invited. We're going to have a great time. Offend lots of social justice warriors. I will start putting this fucker together in two, three weeks. I'll, I'll start on Black Friday. I will have the best Halloween costume ever put together. As long as it offends every social justice warrior in the state of Michigan in the process. God, gay Hitler? What do you think? Think that would work? Transgender Hitler. Fat, transgender, Native American Hitler. How, How about that? Oh, I have ideas. I have lots of ideas. Why does it always start with Hitler, though? It seems a little cliche to me. All right, one other thing I want to tell you about before we get into the episode today is uh, I want to remind you to check your subscriptions. Uh, Make sure you are subscribed. That is, if you want to keep getting these audio masterpieces hand-delivered to you for free each and every time I upload one. If you want them to keep coming to your device uninterrupted, make sure you are subscribed to me, the Escaping the Cave podcast. It's a really pretty podcast, all the podcatchers have it now, and it's got a nice little, little image of a woman walking out of a cave. I took that picture, by the way. That is mine. I took that down in Peru on the way to Machu Picchu. It is another. It's a visual masterpiece to go with the audio masterpiece. If you want to continue to receive these artistic, these genuine art, Toddzilla articles, conveniently, you need to check those subscriptions. So please, make sure you are subscribed to Escaping the Cave. Ah, That'll make us all happy. Okay, I have talked about this episode. I talked about this episode last week. I was supposed to actually upload it. (laughs) What, Friday? Oops. Look, if you don't like it, if you don't like the delays, just let me know. Shoot me an email. I'll give you your money back. How's that? That work for you? I hate to have upset customers. This is sort of an important episode, I think, and it's going to tie into uh, much of the material that I've been putting out since May, and it's a little sketchy at the same time, kind of, not really, kind of. I am uh, lifting a little bit of audio from another podcast. It's called uh, Your Undivided Attention from the uh, Center for Humane Technology. Okay, let me repeat that. I'm also going to put the link to this episode in the uh, description of the podcast, please. Go listen to the entire thing. This is going to be apparent why here in a couple of minutes, but I implore you not only to go listen to this episode, but also check out uh, the rest of the episodes they have. They are not very long. Okay, these episodes don't run three hours. This isn't Rogan or anybody else like that. These are relatively quick, and I think they're doing that intentionally. Once again, it's put out by the Center for Humane Technology, Tristan Harris. Is one of the guys also Aza Raskin, and it's going to be featuring their guest. I think from either July or August. I, I, I'd have to go back and look, but her name is Renee Resta, and she is an expert on disinformation. She co-authored the Senate's investigation into the—I'm sorry—the Senate Intelligence Committee's investigation into the um, Inter- Internet Research Agency's interference into the 2016 election. She knows her shit, kids. And, obviously, I think you can tell why I was insanely interested in this podcast. Now, I would have called them, I would have emailed them, I would have contacted them one way or another if I thought there was any prayer in hell of getting any of these three, particularly Renee, though, on this podcast, so I could actually interview her and run some of the stuff by me, but this is a backwoods, I'm sorry to say it, and maybe it's a little self-deprecating, but I think it's realistic. This podcast is new, and it's a, a backwoods outpost in the grand scheme of the Internet and the grand scheme of uh, podcasts. They're hard to reach anyway. They do a lot of national media. I made a calculated uh, evaluation and decided it was going to be just a big waste of my time to contact them. So what I decided to do, I have the skills, I have the equipment here. I'll just, you know what, I'll take chunks out of this and add my stuff to it. Now, if this gets back to you folks, Tristan, Aza, Renee. I apologize if I've crossed some line. All you have to do is shoot me an email, Toddzillax at gmail.com. I will be happy, happy to remove this material from my podcast. All right. But. I've also gone and I've looked at the website. This is a 501c. This is a nonprofit organization. I have not heard any calls for money in any of the podcasts. I don't see any sort of advertising put up. I don't think these folks are out to make money with this material. That is one of the reasons I love it, for obvious reasons. I don't think they're interested in making a nickel off of this. So I don't know that they really would care that some dude is taking the information they have because he finds it incredibly useful and wants to use it and wants to put it in front of more people and send more people to their podcast. I'm making a calculated judgment here. All right? Uh, so that's what I'm going to do. And it is incredibly useful material. As I said, Renee DeResta, she's my uh, primary target here. She She knows her stuff. Okay. And she is talking about a lot of things in this podcast. All three of them are. But I'm going to give you a quick little uh, rundown of some of just this is just some of the stuff that's in here. Talking about 2016 and the investigation into how the election interference took place. And how, you know, they didn't, I don't know that they ever said this in this episode, but I'm going to say it how it's going to happen again because nothing's being done about it. Nothing's being done to prevent it. And awareness? Are you kidding me? I'm risking going off on a tangent. I don't want to go down. But I have listened uh, for reasons you don't need to know. I have listened to more conservative talk radio this week than I have probably my entire life up until this point. Not counting the times that I worked at these radio stations and had had to actually listen to them. And this isn't getting any better, my friends. I've been telling you that there's no sausage party hope coming. I've been telling you that for months and months and months. You better prepare yourself for next year. Because what happened in 2016 is going to happen again. It's probably going to be worse. I've told you about how more more countries, I think two to three times as many countries, are engaging in online social media-based disinformation now than were in 2016. Do you think this material is not coming into our borders already as we speak from more uh, originating targets than before? Do you really believe that? Do you think that you or we collectively are better prepared to deal with this? Will we know it when we see it any better than we did in 2016? Is it possible that maybe the material has gotten more sophisticated? Maybe it's better. Maybe the stuff coming in through these little devices, maybe it's better. Maybe they've concealed it a little bit better. Maybe they've learned something in the last three, almost four years. (sighs) Anyway, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in here. And she talks in the end, I think, about um, one of the things she mentioned was education. And uh, how intelligence isn't a factor in this. I'm smart. I am not going to be susceptible to this. I will not. That's for dumb people. That is not the case. She repeats that in this episode. I have said that multiple times from various different sources over the last few months. You are susceptible to it. You are especially susceptible to it if you think you're not susceptible to it. And one of my favorites... Boy, I spent a lot of time on this. Hillary Clinton came out of the forest last week. Just in time for Halloween. Zombie Hillary has risen from the dead. Election. Election. Well, she decided to come out and uh, interject herself into the uh, political conversation on a podcast. (laughs) And said that um, Tulsi Gabbard might be an unwitting or witting. She didn't say. Russian asset for 2016, the same way that Jill Stein, she said it, certainly was back in 2016. And that, oh my God, firestorm, a controversy from all sides. Oh, you can't say that about the candidate, blah, 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 blah. She was eviscerated for this. I'm going to defend Hillary Clinton here in this episode. And I'm going to use a lot of the material that they were talking about in this episode a couple of months ago. And I'm going to add a lot to it as well. Hillary Clinton did not say that Tulsi Gabbard was certainly a Russian spy, a Russian plant. She called her a Russian asset. The Russians may have chosen her, with or without her knowledge, to play the part. Of the spoiler in 2020, the same way Jill the Bolcherstein was a spoiler back in 2016. If you don't believe that, if you don't agree with that assessment, I suggest you go look at the voting t- totals of those three magical states back in 2016, compare them to her votes, compare them to Trump's votes and Clinton's votes, see the difference, factor in how many other people wrote in Bernie. Oh, my God, Bernie got screwed. Oh, I'm going to cry and write him in. I'll vote for Mickey Mouse. It worked. It worked. And, oh, my God, I've been asking on this podcast for months and months and months. I think I mentioned it last year, even. Jill Stein has been a non-entity. She vanished like electoral fart in the wind after the election in 2016 to be seen nowhere until... Until last week, until her name was uttered by Hillary Clinton and mentioned her as being a likely, not likely, I misspoke there, called her a certainly a Russian asset in 2016 and saying that she may not be done yet. She may not be ready to give it up. So we may have both Tulsi over here, may have Jill Stein over there, and I, I put forth, I postulate in this podcast that uh, when you know the Republicans have poked and prodded her enough and encouraged her to take the same track to the same rhetorical track that Donald Trump took in 2016 the same one Jill Stein took in 2016 and these wars of regime change, regime change wars that we may have two of them Two of them. Oh, another magical vagina that the, the feminists, the neo feminists, the scorned neo feminists can go vote for next year to almost ensure that Donald Trump is reelected, provided he survives this impeachment turmoil. My opinion is ever evolving on that. I'm not going to get to it today. Tune into the next episode, though, huh? <sighs> this episode right here thanks to these guys and thanks i you know I, if, if if this is getting back to you folks thank you for doing this material i apologize if you've been offended or wronged in any way shape or fashion but this material directly ties in to what i have been obsessing on of this podcast for months it needs to be added to the discussion, and I, I encourage the rest of you, if you are listening to me, if you're listening to this episode, follow the link in the podcast description and go listen to these folks. They know what they're doing. There are not many voices out there trying to warn you about the problems with this technology and how it's engineered to addict you, how it's engineered to suck you into distraction engineered to get you addicted to it these folks are you should be listening to them disclosure, it's uh, right around 12 hours later now, and that stupid zombie lawn maintenance worker wouldn't leave, man. I I swear to God, it sounded like a damn stock car outside of my window out there. It didn't make a fucking lawn guy in his image, that's for sure. Anyway, so I had to pretty much shut everything down, but... I'm kind of glad I did, as in the last, I don't know, few hours. And the devil, too. The devil has slithered forth, possibly. I didn't realize this. It's going to tie into this segment. Hillary Clinton has slithered forth from the swamp this week. I'm sure you saw that regarding uh, Tulsi Gabbard and uh, Jill Stein. And I, I mentioned, man, I said to a few friends of mine, she's not running, is she? She can't be running. She cannot possibly be that stupid, right? Please, God. Please, God, no. I can't believe it. I don't believe it you if Hillary runs there's no way right you either. I sent you my prayers yesterday, God. And you sent me Hillary. There's word that she's considering running for president again if she can see herself a path to victory. At least in the primary process. She's she's thinking about getting back in there. It's entered her freaking mind. Help me understand this woman. (laughs) Please. All I want is just a little normalcy. I I, I love moderates. I would love a moderate, but not one as hateable, as repugnant as... Hillary, I know technically you won the popular vote back in 2016. Hillary, I understand that. You won the popular vote by by three million votes. That sounds like a lot. It's not. It's not. It's like winning 129 to one, or 139 or 129 to 126, whatever it was. It's a really slim margin against Donald Trump. Against Donald Trump. No one likes you. I doubt Chelsea even likes you. When she says she loves you, Hillary, I don't think she does. I think she's afraid of you. I think she thinks she has to say, I love you, mommy. I don't think she does. Nobody does. Do not do this. Oh my God. I feel it feels like someone has stuck an ice pick into both my heart and my eyeball and mistaken that ice pick for a catheter. This cannot be happening again. It can't possibly be happening again, can it? Who is talking to this woman? Who? 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 Oh my God! You've got to be kidding me. Anyway, <laughs> I was in a much better mood when I was doing this yesterday, and I'm going to continue on with what I was doing yesterday. This is interesting though because it does, like I said, it it ties into where I was going anyway, because it involved Hillary friggin' Clinton. I was going to give some people some props in this episode, including Nicholas Carr. I already did that. And the other one I wanted to mention was this podcast that I mentioned before called uh, Your Undivided Attention. It's uh, put out by the Center for Humane Technology. These are some people who are trying to figure out how to use technology in a responsible way. They're really interested in things like technological addiction, how your phone looks like a slot machine, how they use these psychological sort of lures and psychological bait in order to lure you in to get you addicted to technology. They talk about the dopamine aspect of Facebook's like system. And they talk about, I'll get to this uh, actually in this segment, they talk about Mark Zuckerberg realizing very early on that the person who could control the very human need need, requirement for social validation. And if you don't think it's built into his platform, you are naive. Sorry. Anyway, uh, Your Undivided Attention, that's the name of the podcast. You can get it on uh, pretty much any podcatcher. They do not put out a lot of podcasts, though. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's been a couple of months, I think, since their last one. But they finally updated a new one. I haven't listened to the new, or uploaded a new one, I should say. I haven't listened to the new one. What I'm going to focus on today is uh, the very first of a two-part episode that they did, I think maybe back in July or August, called From Russia with Likes. And it features a woman named uh, Renee DiResta. She is a disinformation expert. She co-authored the Senate Intelligence Committee's uh, Russia investigation. She knows her stuff. Very smart woman. The podcast itself is hosted by a a guy named Tristan Harris and Aza Raskin. I'm going to play some clips from this and, well, you'll see what I'm going to do. Let's get going on that, shall we? Manipulation works at the first layer. You're trying to do something directly. You're pulling
3: directly on the puppet strings. But once you kind of get into them, let's say you implant a habit or you implant a deep-seated belief. You don't have to then pull on the puppet strings anymore. You can take your hands off and watch the puppet go walk around in the world, like shouting these beliefs that that are now running through their mind and um, they're automatically pursuing that agenda. And this is happening
0: at many different scales. I have talked about this very thing in depth. What he's talking about, these habits are the conditioned reflexes, the convulsive twitch that I've mentioned over and over and over and over again. These habits that he's talking about are the proselytes and the activized militants that Jacques Lule has talked about in the book Propaganda. You're going to see a theme here, but this is this habit thing and creating the proselyte militant and having the the habit formed and having these people go off and automatically proselytize the agenda. That's the inseminated opinion. That's the, the inseminated and the implanted conditioned response, conditioned reflex. That's how you create an army of proselytes and militants. This is everywhere. And he's talking about this now in the context, thankfully, and the reason I'm using this, and I'm going to use, I think, a lot of this uh, stuff probably moving forward, because it needs to be tied in. I'm looking for a tie-in between uh, Jacques Ellul, (laughs) Joseph Goebbels, sorry to say it, uh, Edward Bernays, Lippmann, and all these people who are sort of the founding fathers, the, the Isaac Newtons of propaganda physics who first came up with this, and there has to be a tie-in to the modern day and how this stuff is being used against us today and how it's exponentially worse because of the delivery system, the internet, your phone. There has to be a way to do this. I'm looking for anybody who is tying this stuff in. This is one of the best things I've found as far as the disinformation delivery system goes in the modern day. I just don't think that they've tied this in and made the connection to uh, these other authors and these uh, folks in the past. And when you're talking about this conditioned reflex, these habits that are being formed online, what they're doing, I think, is they're making these people, making these folks think that they're either a uh, disciple or, or a messiah themselves. Heading off into cyberspace and the virtual world into the Matrix. Saving people from themselves. or, Or saving the poor, innocent folks from these evil bastards on the other side. There's a very messianic aspect to this. I will save you from either yourself or these people, right? A passionate proselyte fueled by maniacal, maniacal moral certitude. Because in his mind, he can change the world just by taking action. Just by the reaction, the convulsive twitch with the power of the propaganda, his propaganda, his activism, right? It's the righteousness of this implanted, inseminated moral certitude I've talked about. Moral certitude of implanted righteousness. Uh, The implanted conditioned response of sectarian fanaticism. The habit. You've got these people running around automatically, doing your work for you. Thanks for pointing that out, boys. Oh, there's more.
2: A lot of what we saw with Russia was the building up of tribes. And and they, they do that not by making you hate other people, but by making you have very strong points of view about your identity and, and your identity as a member of this group. So for black women, for the, the content targeting black women, a lot of it was just focused on Family, what it it means to be a black woman in America. Aspirational uh, black marriages, uh, black fatherhood was a a really big
3: theme. Some of that was pushing memes on black fatherhood.
2: Yeah, there's black hair, a lot of uh, beauty, fashion. Um, Black don't crack was a, you know, which is a sort of um, phrase that. I would, I would reach out to, um, to to black women researchers who study trolls also. My data set was NDA'd, so I could not send them the memes, but I would say, like, so what do you know about this hashtag? Uh, because this is not content that I am regularly pushed as a white woman. Uh, so I wanted to get some sense of, like, is this something that they made up or is this something that they appropriated from actual black culture pages? And what we would see as we got more and more into the data set, over this was a six-month study or so, eight-month study, ways in which they were just taking and repurposing hashtags and phrases and memes and visuals, including that real black women had posted themselves. So this is my Tumblr account with my picture mm. of me. And then they would take that and they would share it and they would say, um, you know, look at this queen or something. And... So one of the reasons the data set's not public, actually, is because there are so many images of people in there, real people. Real people. And that's because they would put their pictures on Tumblr or they would put up their photos and then the, um, the, that content was seen as something that could be appropriated. and by, so By the Russian... Cross. Yeah, by the Internet Research Agency. So the pages that were targeting black women, the pages that were targeting, of course, it wasn't just the black community that was the recipient of this. But the, the black community was the majority, I would say. Right. Most of the content really did. They, they leaned very hard into the black community.
0: And they're going to get more into that. They're going, to, they're going to show you here in a couple of minutes in the next segment, I think, how they actually use this. But this is the partitioning that I talked about in one of the episodes uh, quite a ways back, probably in May or June. They cordon us off into these groups, and I noticed this. This is one of the very first things. Tooting my horn here, sure, but I noticed this back in 2014, the disinformation campaign that I picked out on Facebook as I was sort of lurking through these um, these Facebook groups and these pages, one of which that just sticks out of my head, right off the top of my head, was the Proud White Americans page. It sounds identical to what she's talking about, except directed at white people. It didn't really probably start as a political thing right in the beginning. But they get their army together. They sort of draft and recruit the army based on identity, based on a, a, a self-perception of who we are collectively as this group. But they don't, prop, they don't use a political propaganda right off the bat. They gather you together into a community, into a community, bind you together with some sense of commonality, and then comes the propaganda, the disinformation, the agitation later on. And some of you are probably pretty astute, you know exactly where this is going. Let's catch the rest of the class up, shall we? We're not saying something about like, oh, they got
3: duped or something like no, that. It's not, not at, this all. at all. It's actually no, no, no. just they're playing to pride and identity. You would yes. never know. I mean, we see images all the time of different kinds of pride, but they So why did they And they go do the after- same
2: thing with the conf- with Southerners actually. Uh-huh. So the narratives about the Confederacy were not They were not rooted in hate. It was like, we are proud descendants of this group of people who fought this war, and this is our flag. And so it was very much like a rally around that pride. It was very rarely was it positioned in opposition.
0: This is identity politics. And I'm sorry, conservatives, when people on the left tell you that you play the identity politics card as well, or you are susceptible to it, they're absolutely right. It may be a natural reaction to being, I don't know, feeling like you're under attack somehow or something like that. Maybe seeing somebody else engage in identity politics triggers in you and your group the urge to congregate in your own tribe, your own identity politics, clan, whatever. This is how it's being used. This is how it's being put together. She used the example of black folks early on in the segment before this one, and then she used the Confederate people, right? Right. These are the same things. These are the same techniques. And this is what they're talking about. In, in 2016, part of the goal was just simple agitation. Divisiveness, getting us at each other's throats. So we separate them off. Let's put this group over here. We can put a cage around this group over here, and then we can go over and talk to these guys and tell them how those guys just hate them and they're bastards and they're oppressors. Oh, and then we'll run over to the, these these guys that we we're just calling oppressors, and we're gonna say, Hey, you know what they're doing to you over there?
2: They began to position it strongly in opposition when the Confederate monuments were coming down. And then even then that framing was about your identity. This is an attack on your identity. This is mm. a this is an affront to you as a Southerner. They had a nuanced view of how the right operated too, in the sense that pages targeting older people leaned more into narratives of um, security, Ronald Reagan, lots of images of flags. (laughs) Just
3: Um, imagine the history of Russia pushing Ronald Reagan memes. (laughs) (laughs) I know there's irony there.
2: (laughs) Um, The younger leaning Russian stuff was much more of like the kind of snarky, um, you know, there was a meme that was, um, are you team conservative or team yeah, conservative this is
3: younger conservative you're saying yeah
2: you're, so yeah so it would it would lean more into the um you know they had pages targeting the tea party they also had pages targeting more like the the kind of like pro-trump right so they they did have that segmentation
0: identity politics provocation agitation pitting one group against the other. Even within, you heard him talking about, are you a conservative or a cuck conservative? We're having that right now. Are you a true liberal? Are you a true socialist? Or are you just a, a, a lukewarm Democrat? You're seeing this happening in the left. You see it happen everywhere. You're seeing it happen, I think, between the, uh, the Trump cult and whatever is left of sensible Republicans. A lot of it we're doing to ourselves. A lot of this stuff is happening domestically. Alright? And a lot of that is being done uh, to make money. Simply to make money, to put forth a product, to target a certain demographic, to get clicks, to get Patreon donations, however you want to look at it. A lot of that stuff is being done domestically, and I have seen people writing articles on this where they say that next year the biggest threat down this line may not be international. It may not be coming from outside our own borders. It may be people here within our own country doing this to us themselves. A lot of people are doing this unintentionally. I think a lot of these methods that a lot of these, methods, lot of these uh, yeah, methods that they're using and have used, continue to use, will continue to use, I think have been picked up by people. Like what I was talking about in the uh, habits and puppet strings segment earlier, people pick up on this stuff. I think they see how it's used, and subconsciously, they just adopt it. Oh, that's kind of neat. I think I'll do it. Either way. It's dangerous because that's the thing. That's the agitation that is putting us at each other's throats. And there is a lot more to this, a lot more to this. You're going to love this segment.
2: They wanted to erode support for institutional Republicans as well. So there was a ton that was anti McCain, ton that was anti Lindsey Graham, particularly when Lindsey Graham was kind of at loggerheads with President Trump or then candidate Trump. Uh, They were anti Ted Cruz, anti Marco Rubio during the primaries when they wanted to kind of uh, bolster support for for uh, then candidate Trump. On the left, the political content took the form of anti-Hillary. Bunch of stuff that was pro-Jill Stein, bunch of, you know, when Bernie Sanders was still in the ring, pro-Bernie Sanders, when Bernie was no longer in the ring, the um, conversations about the ways in which the Democratic Party had, you know, had wounded
0: Bernie voters. One thing should have stuck out, should have jumped out and burrowed itself into your brain, and that was the Jill Stein aspect of this. Hillary Clinton came out, and she gave, she did a podcast I mean, Ploof, I think, was the guy's name, whatever. Uh, and she mentioned on that podcast that she thought the right was grooming Tulsi Gabbard to run a uh, third-party campaign this year, and called her basically a Russian asset. I think a lot of this was taken out of context. Hillary was nailed for this. I mean, she was she's being eviscerated for this. And this is kind of why she sort of bubbled up to the surface this week. All of this stuff with the podcast and calling Tulsi Gabbard a uh, Russian asset, calling Jill Stein a Russian asset. She said definitely she came out and said that she is definitely was a Russian asset asset and probably still is that Jill may not be giving it up. I haven't heard anything I've asked on this podcast. Several times. Where is Jill Stein? Where has she been? She's been awfully quiet since she tried to save America with her Green Party candidacy in 2016. Right? I'm doing the air quotes thing here. Well, there's been nothing until this week. Hillary comes out and says, hey, you know what? Tulsa Gabbard could be a Russian asset. She could. They could be using her to basically replay 2016 the way they used Jill Stein and the, Green, and the Green Party to elect Trump. To divide the left. To divide opposition against the preferred candidate. Siphon votes off. I've got more on this coming. More on the techniques used back in 2016. How this actually happened. It wasn't just having Jill Stein's unshaven legs and pits up on the uh, soapbox outside of the DNC. There was a lot more to it than that, but that was part of it. When I saw her actually come out and say this, this week, I was thrilled. I was thrilled to hear that. Because nobody has ever come out and really called Jill Stein out for what she was. And she's being attacked and she's being eviscerated. But like she's saying that Jill Stein was a Russian spy. Almost like a, a, an agent of the KGB who came over here, implanted and burrowed herself into the electoral system just to work directly with the KGB or whatever's over there now. Putin in order to sabotage the Democrats' campaign and put Trump in office. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't matter. She could be doing this. She could have done this without knowing what she was doing. I think that's exactly what Hillary was trying to get across about Tulsi Gabbard. You can be a Russian asset without knowing it. Your candidacy and your existence could serve the purpose if they like you with this new technology and being able to reach people, unwitting people, lobotomized people via social media. Your candidacy, your presence can be enough. They can take it from there and just sort of flood the matrix with pro-Gabbard, pro-Jill Stein. That's exactly what she just said, pro-Jill Stein stuff. They were promoting her to sow discord in the opposition to split the opposition, divide and conquer. I went and looked for a lot of stuff from Jill Stein from 2016. wasn't fun for me, but w- what I was looking for. I also wanted to hear her attack Hillary Clinton, because I remember that, calling her a warmonger and all this. She's almost completely here. Let me, let me just play a little bit. This is, this is Tulsi Gabbard. Regime change wars. Here's Jill Stein.
1: Regime change wars. Regime change wars. Regime change wars. Regime change wars. The very
0: same rhetoric is coming out of Tulsi Gabbard's mouth now that was coming out of Jill Stein's mouth back in 2016.
1: Regime change wars. Regime change wars.
0: Not only that, she's attacking Hillary Clinton and mainstream Democrats. The mainstream Democratic Party calling them warmongers. Tools of the corporate state. Oh, there's so much more. Not only is Tulsi channeling Jill Stein from 2016, she's also now channeling Donald Trump, trying to hijack his fake news narrative. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, let me play the entire clip of uh, Hillary, okay? In case you haven't heard this, it's great.
1: I'm not making any predictions, but I think they've got their eye on somebody who's currently in the Democratic (laughs) primary and are grooming her to be the third party candidate. Mm -hmm. She's the favorite of the Russians. They have a bunch of sites and bots and other ways of supporting her Mm -hmm. so far. And that's assuming Jill Stein will give it up, which she might not because she's also a Russian uh, asset.
0: So when she said this, now a lot of people I think mischaracterized what she said. I think she was saying that either the Republicans are sort of grooming her for a third-party run, maybe the right-wing media, because Fox News loves her. I've got a piece for you coming up here in just a second. It's going to prove it. But they love her because she's coming out, and she's using the same narrative that Donald Trump uses against the mainstream media. Plus, you've got Jill Stein's regime change, wars, warmongers, blah, 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 blah. She's perfect. She is an ideal candidate to once again split the opposition. And once you split the opposition, if you've got a united front on the other, we all know how this works. We've seen how this works. We saw it in 2000. We saw it again in 2016. Are we going to fall for this bullshit again? It seems possible. Anyway, here's Tulsi's uh, uh, response on the uh, Tucker Carlson show. You'll love this. This is on Fox News. You are the one Democratic candidate that CNN doesn't like. Does that surprise you?
1: It doesn't, you know. I think it's kind of absurd, actually, that as as we saw in in the days leading up to the debate last night, both the New York Times and CNN both ran hit pieces. Uh, today, the day after the debate, we see more of these hit pieces coming coming out, and uh, for them to to sit there and try to portray themselves as neutral arbiters, as objective. Uh, and independent entities, uh, working with the DNC to carry out a legitimate debate is, is frankly, it's just a joke. You so know, it's one of the reasons why I've been calling for uh, you know, a non-profit organization like the League of Women Voters right. to actually host these debates uh, in a way that actually serves the interests of voters, sure. not the, profit, uh, you know, the profit-bearing corporate interests of the corporate media.
4: I I couldn't agree more so so just for our viewers who maybe haven't followed this the when we say you've been attacked by the New York Times and CNN it's not attacked like they're saying your health care plans too expensive they're saying that you're working (laughs) for a foreign power against America's
1: interest that you're a traitor to our country that New York Times piece essentially said that well this is exactly what happens to those like myself who are Uh, trying to end this regime change war in Syria, who are calling for an end to our country's policy of being the world's police, bring about an end to these regime change wars. Uh, And this is something that is not just happening uh, to me. You know, when they're issuing these smear attacks, really what they're doing is smearing uh, anyone who's calling for an end to these regime change wars, including veterans who I meet almost every single day all across this country who are not pacifists, but who understand and know firsthand the cost of war and who are strongly, strongly calling for our country to put an end to these counterproductive regime change wars. Regime change wars? Regime change wars. I'm
0: sorry. She's doing the exact same thing that Donald Trump does against the media. They're trying to discredit, discredit the institution. She's using the same tactic, the same Fake news tactic against both the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, and the mainstream media that Donald Trump uses. He used, I think, he he tried the same thing against the Republican institution. I I'd have to go back and look at this. I want I don't want to go back and listen to too many of his speeches, just simply for my own psychological health. But I think he was doing a lot of the same things to the RNC back in 2016. The institution doesn't want me. I'm too much of an outsider. Blah 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 blah. All right. It's pretty self-evident where she's coming from. And what did Donald Trump think of all this?
4: And then you have Hillary Clinton saying, two days ago, Tulsi Gabbard is a Russian a- asset. Jill Stein is a Russian agent. I wish you would have said that earlier because people would
1: have
0: realized she's crazy. She's crazy. All
1: right. Here's Tulsi again. As we saw in in the days leading up to the debate last night, both the New York Times and CNN both ran hit pieces uh, today, the day after the debate, we see more of these hit pieces coming coming out. And uh, for them to to sit there and try to portray themselves as neutral arbiters, as objective uh, and independent entities, uh, working with the DNC to carry out a legitimate debate is, is, frankly, it's just a joke.
0: And here's Donald Trump this week.
4: I watched this crazy Anderson Cooper the other day during the debate. Apologize for having to ask the question to them. Apologize. If that were me... He declared if, his innocence. If that were my sons that took $168,000 from this uh, very questionable company, if that were Don Jr., if that were Eric Trump, it would be the biggest story of the century. And what does it say about the media? The media is corrupt. They gave Pulitzer Prizes to people that got it wrong. All these people it from the New York Times, which is a fake newspaper. We don't even want it in the White House anymore. We're going to probably terminate that in the Washington Post. They're fake. Mm-hmm. I've heard the one person, used to be five or six, now it's down to one, Honest Dave Lincoln, they say he got the worst press of anybody. I say, I dispute it.
0: Once again, listen to it one more time.
4: The Washington Post, which is a fake deal, they won't give you a decent article. No matter what you do, it doesn't matter. It's a fix.
1: As we saw, In in the days leading up to the debate last night, both the New York Times and CNN both ran hit pieces.
0: So there you go. It's both a replay, I think, of 2016 as far as this third. I don't think Hillary Clinton was wrong here. I do not think she was wrong about this. She's being lambasted by just about every media outlet there is, including on the left, including CNN, including, I, I think, both the New York Times and the Washington Post have come out and called this a conspiracy theory. Oh, that sounds familiar. Everything's a conspiracy theory now. Everything with Joe Biden is a conspiracy theory, if you're on the left. And everything with Trump and the Ukraine and everything else is a conspiracy theory, a soft coup. Everything's just, there's no reality left. There's no possible reality that disagrees with your preferred narrative. I understand that. But Tulsi Gabbard, whether she means to or not, she is on the verge of playing the exact same role that Jill Stein played in 2016. That of... The spoiler. Her rhetoric sounds an awful lot like she wants to break away from the Democratic Party because she's not doing very well. She's not really gaining any traction within the Democratic Party. Maybe this will give her a boost this week. I don't know. Could be. But she's also invoking Bernie Sanders the same way, the same way Jill Stein... Invoked Bernie Sanders and the DNC corruption, how they're they're loading the system away from poor Bernie back in 2016. That's that's why you should vote for me. That's why you should come over here and abandon the two party system, even though, even though the way the government and the electoral system is set up, you're required to get two hundred and seventy electoral votes because we see we have the electoral college. Maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't. There's the should, 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 should. <sighs> The truth is what is. What should be is fucking fantasy. Terrible lie. Somebody gave the people long, long, long ago. Maybe we shouldn't have to get 270 electoral votes to be elected president, but, you see, we do. Jill, the best you can do, Jill, is decide enough electoral votes away that where there's nobody gets to 270. Nobody gets to 270 at all. And then we send all this crap back to the House of Representatives. And then nobody elects anything. That's the best you can hope for, Jill. That's the best you can hope for, Tulsi. More realistically, what you're going to accomplish is taking enough votes away from actual Democrats, the actual opposition to Donald Trump, as things sit right now, taking actual votes away from the opposition, and electing the man again. That's all you can hope for. Realistically, unless you're, you're existing off in unicorn land, that's all you can do. That's all you can hope to do. So anyway, let's go back to the attacks on the media show. We're just getting started here, kids. Now, when you listen to this, okay, I don't hear a whole lot of lies in here. Okay, not a lot of just bold face lies. You remember what I mentioned about Joseph Goebbels, how he said that the best propaganda does not lie. The best propaganda takes the truth and spins it. It's also a whole section I have yet to get to in Jacques Lule's book about propaganda and truth.
2: This is all rooted in real grievances. Like, there is some truth to a lot of this, and that's what makes it insidious because— because the 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 hardest thing to respond to is always, yes, but we hold this point of view. Who right. cares if the Russians said it because
0: we hold this point of view also? This is one of the very first things. When I was listening to this podcast the first time, I was almost screaming at it. I don't think I don't get the impression anyway that they understand that classic propaganda coming from its organic roots has always understood, at least the good stuff has always understood that. The best propaganda comes from truth. This strikes me as close to, I don't know if they're meaning to do this, and I don't want to judge her. She's obviously a lot more educated than I am about a lot of this, so I don't want to you know, throw myself out on the plank too far. But it doesn't sound to me like she understands this. It sounds like there's at least maybe uh, she's giving the impression that the, maybe there's a misinterpretation of what propaganda is, or it could be that she comes from a disinformation background and doesn't understand that just bold, naked propaganda uses truth to manipulate people. I do not know. Let's keep going.
2: You're deepening a sense of an identity that someone already holds, mm-hmm. right? So when you're right. when you're looking at that, that original ad targeting, if they're targeting an ad for a Christian page, they are targeting it to people who are receptive to that point of view already because they're Christians. And that is a perfectly normal thing to be. And right. if you are Nike a Christian, you wanna, should want yeah, to find Christian Christians content. Or exactly. Or, or, and the same thing with if you are a Muslim, that same thing. If you are a a Southerner and you want to find your, you know, your Texas pride page. I mean, I'm a New Yorker. I have New York pride. Right. So there's no that that um, sense of who you are, your identity, your place in the world. You find people who share that identity. You deepen that affiliation. And then you add Mm -hmm. on the propaganda layer. Then you add on the call to action.
0: The call to action, the conditioned response, proselytes and Militants, one of the biggest themes throughout this book, Propaganda by Jacques Aloua, one of the biggest themes is the call to action. It's useless unless you get people who are ingesting it, who believe it, who have established and built their identity, as she just said, around it, or adopted it because of their identity. Either way, the effect is the same. It plays into this egocentric identity, and it's useless if you do not get them to take action of some sort, be it getting into the streets, be it voting, right? But in this day and age, in this day and age, I think a lot of that comes, uh, a lot of that call to action is directed at turning you into a proselyte, a virtual proselyte within the matrix, using your virtual avatar to propagate for the propagandist turning you into an unwitting Manchurian propagandist. That is, I think, I think today, I think that's become the call to action. It's almost like a propaganda virus. They infect you with it. (laughs) You've got this. (gasps) Let me play this next one for you. Just let me play. We'll tie this all in just a second. You'll love this. This is what I've been threatening you with.
3: It's not correlated to intelligence, right? Or even critical thinking, right? It's about... Some core nature about, you know, we had this, you know, Aza, you and I, I think we're at this dinner, and someone we know who's CEO of major tech company who, who knew Zuckerberg in the early days said that Zuckerberg said this fascinating thing that every human being responds to social validation.
1: Mm.
3: Not one human being does not respond to social validation. It is a universal. And if you own that, you own that fulcrum of what motivates people on a daily basis. That's why likes are so powerful. Mm -hmm. That's why having your profile photo different tomorrow and having that visible for other people to see or respond to is so powerful.
0: So you're partitioned off now in these groups, these groups based on identity, common interest, common, I don't know, foundational roots. All right. And the call to action, I think, plays into, now that you're gathered in these groups, this call to action, I think, is, is propagating, spreading the propaganda yourself. The, the, the second-hand propaganda that you've received from someone else taking that to the group and handing it to them. That is the social validation. I think that is the convulsive twitch that I've mentioned oh so affectionately over the last couple of months. The likes, getting validation. Online, in the matrix, in your social media network, your group, showing people how passionate you are, how loyal you are, how smart you are, maybe how articulate you are, how patriotic, maybe how much of a social justice warrior you really are, virtue signaling, and getting the social validation in response to whatever virtue that is from the group you've created or a group that's been created for you in the matrix. That, I think, is the call to action these days. I think it's tied directly into identity. I don't think people have an inkling, even a slight clue, as to how deeply this will embed its talons into your psyche. People, I think, become, I'm going to say literally here, and I think I'm using the proper definition of the term, <laughs> the proper use of the word, I think I'm using it, literally dependent upon that social validation. And when you have people who are competing and running into each other trying to get their social validation with this doctrine over here, this secondhand propaganda, this secondhand um, junk, and you've got them running headlong into this group over here, the other side, (coughs) And you can't. You can't have a reasonable conversation. You can't have a reasonable discussion. Proselyte versus proselyte doesn't (laughs) lead you to uh, 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 rational discourse. That's matter and antimatter. You can't do that, especially if you're doing it in front of your groups. And trying to achieve and trying to outdo each other in these likes, these these battles, these, these coliseum battles for displayed social validation. Not only to you. I mean, it makes you feel good. But how does it project to everybody else who is witnessing these rhetorical trials by combat? Has nothing to do with being right. It has nothing to do with social justice or patriotism or any of this other stuff. It has to do with simple, primal, simplistic validation. Social validation. Social status. I mean, it's almost like teenage boys putting themselves all together and going prancing around trying to find a mate. <sighs> or women at the bar. Oh No, I'm not done. Let's return back to 2016, shall we? But
2: one thing that was very interesting was in the week leading up to the election, the content targeting the right was all about anger. Mm. It was phenomenally angry. It was um, we need to get ready to have an armed insurrection if Hillary steals the election. It was we have to vote to stick it to the elites. You know, it was constant anger. It was just constant anger to drive people to go take an action, go vote, go vote, go vote, not even go vote because we love President Trump so much. It was go vote because she can't win. And if she wins, it destroys America. And so that was where you would see this. um, We have to be ready to riot. You know,
0: so there you go. You've got the agitation and a call to action, a literal call to action. You are agitating the right just prior to the election. With this existential threat, that is Hillary Clinton. You must get up and you must take action. You must defeat her at the polls. And if we cannot defeat her at the polls, by God, we should have an armed insurrection. That's what she's talking about here. Meanwhile, what did they do to the left?
2: Meanwhile, on the left and in the black community, it was apathy. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't anger at all. Actually, it was just why would we get out of bed for this? This mm. isn't for us. Did mm-hmm. you have an example that they were interesting... posting
3: photos of like cute black families or something like that during election week?
2: They've posted a lot of inspirational stories about um, like black youths in particular. Mm. And, and, and that was that was always framed. Actually, I mean, I loved reading them. I thought it was great. Like as you know, as somebody who was reading these stories as I was going saying like, oh, that's an interesting story. I hadn't heard about that. It was being framed as like, this is the narrative the media doesn't want you to see.
0: That sounds familiar, doesn't it? I remember this distinctly. The the uh, the, the narrative the media doesn't want you to, to see. We're going to come right back to that. But I remember this distinctly back in 2016. I remember the agitation. I, I talked to a lot of people about the agitation on the right. The revolutionary, not revolutionary, it wasn't revolutionary. It was more down the line of just uh, repelling this insurrection or creating an insurrection if she should win. I remember distinctly almost the white rage being provoked on the right. I remember it all the way back to 2014 as well. But I also remember this apathy on the left. Almost like, I can't believe this is happening. Oh my God. Oh, Oh well. And coming back to the narrative thing, this brings me back to Tulsi Gabbard. She's talking about how the DNC and CNN and everybody else is out to get her. How Donald Trump You know, it ties into that fake news thing. What is the common bond between those two? Mm -hmm. So
2: all sides got that. This is the narrative the media doesn't want you to see. So that erosion of trust in mainstream media, there were constantly memes about CNN, uh, who was controlling CNN. There were regularly posts about not and and it wasn't just targeting the right. Right. Because that's a pretty common narrative It was the black community pages that they built all pretended that they were independent black media telling the stories that mainstream media wasn't mm. telling. Mm. Now, the irony now, why does that work? is why? that they yeah. were actually going and grabbing these stories <laughs> from American media, cutting and pasting <laughs> them and repurposing them.
0: That sort of happened last week with this, right? <laughs> they got this story. All of these uh, these uh, alternate or alternative media outlets. Fox News got this from someone. They weren't listening to this podcast. So somebody had reported this thing with Hillary. Anyway, whatever. The, the thing that stuck out to me was talking about who controls these media outlets. right? Donald Trump has, has been all over this fake news, this fake corporate news, uh, Fox News. If you watch Fox News at night, the opinion shows, they're always talking about the mainstream media. Who controls the mainstream media? The mainstream media mob. Well, they are the epitome of mainstream media. They have more viewers than anybody more people watch fox news than watch cnn or msnbc they love to brag about it but yet everybody else is the mainstream media how does this work is there a bigger corporation is there a bigger example of a corporation than fox corporate media the core of the mainstream corporate media i i I almost want to bust into hysterics whenever i hear sean hannity or tucker carlson talking about that but Tulsi Gabbard's doing the same thing now. She's saying how the DNC and CNN are in cahoots. You know, I, I, I have no love for CNN. They're not being controlled by the DNC. They're being controlled by something else called a narrative and trying to put forth a product. They're not, there's no. I don't think there's any conspiracy there between the DNC and CNN. Anyway, yeah, eroding trust in the media creating apathy among the left while at the same time lathering up the right to get them to the polls, right? And then making sure that there are aspects of the left who are just ready to, oh, God, I give up. I'll go throw my vote away and give it to Jill Stein.
2: A lot of the narrative leading into election week um, for the African-American community was very much focused on this isn't our country so there were stories of police brutality incidents, which had which were a common theme throughout. Because again, this is rooted in real grievances, right, these real are all harms, real grievances. right? And they, but they had that, and then the frame that they used for that was, um, so we shouldn't vote, and so this is the you know we're second class citizens in this country. They treat us terribly, so we shouldn't vote, and so that was where you started to see a lot of the they language, a lot of the uh, the other you know this is. Why would we participate in this process that is not for us? Mm. And so it's you build up these pride-based groups, right. people who are proud because they have a deep connection to an identity, and then you turn that on in an advantageous way when you want to be manipulative. And so the it was not black people shouldn't vote. It was as black people, right. we shouldn't vote. Mm-hmm. And it's a subtle inflection, but yeah. it... And it builds makes it on incredibly the community that you're in. It makes
3: yeah. it incredibly hard to say let's turn that off because how can you they're just saying things that people already feel in much the same way you know that people say Trump says things that
0: people already feel when he's saying extreme things. There are two things in there that I want to point out. The they and the other. The language they're using, the language of they, and the language of being the other. Tulsi Gabbard once again, Jill Stein did this as well back in twenty sixteen. They are the DNC. They are the establishment, the establishment Democrats. And Trump did this as well, the establishment Republicans. Career politicians, however you want to look at it, that's the they. All right? And you, on the other hand, whoever is being targeted, is the other, the righteous, oppressed other. So Tulsi Gabbard is being oppressed by them She's the one who just wants to break the entire system and and go forth in in holy righteousness, freed of corporate influence. (sighs) To get rid of her regime change wars. Regime change wars. Donald Trump used the same method, the same tactic against both the institutionalist Republicans, the mainstream Republicans in 2016. Jill Stein did the same thing. Bernie Sanders had an immense amount of success with that, although he did have to join the Democratic Party to kind of get into the party itself. And now this year, Tulsi Gabbard is following the same path. I don't know that she means to do this. I'm not saying that, that this is a uh, you know, a conspiracy in her mind that she planned all this out of that. She really is playing uh, cards with the Russians, cards with Putin, or Euchre with Putin. <laughs> right? I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that anybody who takes this track, who takes this path, in this day and age, is ripe. Ripe for exploitation. Ripe for agitation propaganda coming from outside of our borders simply because of this technology right here and how it reaches you the same way this podcast is reaching you because you have a device you are tethered to. If you don't see how this works and you're not aware of it, you are a sitting friggin' duck. We are sitting frickin' ducks. Hillary Clinton did us a favor this week. I'm sorry. She, I don't like her. I, I, never, I don't ever want to see her ugly face again. I don't ever want to hear her, her grating voice in my ears again. She was not wrong about this. To characterize this as a conspiracy theory is infantile. It's already happened to us. We saw what happened with Jill Stein in 2016. You have to be adult to sit here and listen to Tulsi Gabbard speak in 2019 and not see the similarities, not see history repeating itself with her. Possibly. She's still in the Democratic primary right now, but who's to say if she doesn't start gaining traction, she's not just going to bolt away from the Democrats. What about a Jill Stein-Tulsi Gabbard ticket on the Green Party? That'd be fun, wouldn't it? We're not to the election yet. We're more than a year away still from the election. A lot of things can happen here. To dismiss what she said this week, talking about Hillary Clinton here, to dismiss what she said out of hand is foolish. Don't buy into the Democrats. The Democratic Party trying to protect its process by calling Hillary crazy. I mean, they can't have that, right? They can't have a, a Russian asset within their own primary process. Can they? Well, that would look bad. Give an awful lot of ammunition to uh, Republicans, especially Donald Trump. You're talking about me? Look at you. You got a, you got a Russian asset in your midst. You can't have that shit. And he's eating this up, man, to, to watch him defend Tulsi Gabbard, to watch him defend all of that. be careful here be careful of too many determinations as far as what hillary clinton said about tulsi and definitely definitely about the vulture stein from 2016 there's too many creepy things about that but once you start eroding trust in the media once you start eroding trust in the media what do you do i mean who are you left with what are you left with The RNC and the DNC, the Green Party, where do you get your information from? How do you make a good decision living in a supposed democracy, even in a republic, when you're choosing who's going to represent you next year? How do you get your information if you do not have faith in the media? You have to be very, very careful, especially if you're a liberal. You have to be very, very careful of anyone using the same tactics that Donald Trump used in 2015 and 2016 prior to the election, discrediting the media.
3: What is the recourse against this? What do you do?
2: Well, this is where the this is where it gets really hard, right? So none of the Russian content or very little of it would have come down on any term of service violation because it wasn't really objectionable because these are all positions that real people hold. And so we would get into these interesting conversations, particularly when we would talk about truth and not wanting to be arbiters of truth. And this was, again, how the conversation came back to integrity. It's a really weird nuanced thing to have to work through, which is what is an authentic Texas secessionist?
4: Mm. Who is an authentic
2: (laughs) Texas secessionist? So there are people in America who are Texans who are secessionists, and that is their sincerely held belief. And under, you know, freedom of expression, they have every right to express that sincerely held belief. How does Facebook decide if the Texas secessionist page is run by a quote unquote, authentic Texas secessionist? And this is where Um, We get at some really challenging nuances where this is where you you're you've got this collection of like platforms have access to metadata. This is where you see the changes Facebook's made where it tells you like the regions where the page managers are from and stuff like that. But is there an expat Texas secessionist living abroad? You know, it's just Mm -hmm. it's just a a mind boggling collection of of really hard. It's a very hard problem. So we do try to get back to dissemination patterns. We do try Mm -hmm. to get back to account authenticity. Is this account what it seems to be?
0: This is difficult. This is going to be a difficult situation because Zuckerberg has decided now, Coming just talking just specifically now about social media, he's decided not to police political content for fake or actual information. He's decided he does not want to be the arbiter of truth. That sounds horrifying on its surface, but what's the alternative turning Mark Reagan Zuckerberg and Typhoid Jack over there at Twitter, turning them into arbiters of truth. Really? He he has, he makes a comment here at the end of this uh, first episode where uh, one of these guys, one of the Aza or Tristan says that this is like an autoimmune deficiency, an attack on the autoimmune system. Right? And I, wholeheartedly agree with that. And the solution, the only solution to this is education. Making people aware of it and having people willing to be made aware of it so they can arm themselves against this. Once there's not a market for it, then you can get rid of it. But until it's rejected out of hand by the uh, the mass of people, by the population... And as long as it still makes money and as long as it's still easy to produce and as long as people are holding their hands out desperately wanting this stuff, it's always going to be there. Walter Libman, the society that lacks the means to tell truth from falsehood does not remain free. I've said it a hundred times. Maybe 110 now. (laughs) But why that is, why the society lacks the means, does not matter. It will lead you to one authoritarian or another eventually. And maybe in this case, in a country that's so divided, that's divided almost right down the middle, there's going to be a lot of bloodshed deciding who gets to take charge, which authoritarian, which autocrat gets to take over. Pick your authoritarian wisely. So that's all I've got for this. There's more. There's a whole other episode of this. <laughs> but that, I thought, really tied into a lot of what we were hearing from um, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Tulsi Gabbard, even Jill Stein came out of her vulture cave this week and decided to inject herself into uh, the discourse. And now there's reports that Hillary Clinton is talking about. Oh, my God. I can't even fathom that. <sighs> Anyway, what what is the solution here? What is the ultimate solution? Is there any kind of solution at all? I've talked a lot about disconnection, about unplugging and detaching yourself from these streams, getting out of the social media, at least the news and the propaganda stream, the back and forth, not taking sides, not claiming a team, not wearing your Michigan or Michigan State sweater out into the political field. Detaching as much as you possibly can so you can actually begin to see the information for what it is. At least you have a hope to do that. I've had a whole bunch of stuff on uh, Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death. I forgot about this, but he, he, he nails this as well. He does a whole section on detaching and having to separate yourself emotionally From one outcome or the other. That's the only way that you can possibly even begin to be able to see through this mess. It's the only way that you can even begin to immunize yourself from the propaganda streams. And you have to get out of the the back and forth. I mean, it's almost imperative. Almost imperative that you, you, you get these social media apps off of your phones. Silence people who constantly rail about politics at least if they're partisan. If you have woke friends or you have Trump-bot friends who are constantly woking you or trumping you, silence them. You don't have to unfriend them. Just silence them or get that app off of your iPhone. And stop gorging yourself on electronic media. That's the only way, man. It's the only way. It's One other section, one other chunk I'm going to play here that uh, ties into this.
2: This idea that we have a global public square, that's actually ludicrous. That should never have existed. The idea of that shouldn't even make sense to people, right? We don't even have a national public square. There's no such thing. And there is something to be said for smaller scales of communication.
0: Shrieking that social group down, at least in the context of the group of people you discuss current events or politics with. Not taking part in the Twitter rampage. And not going into these uh, threads, maybe on pages on Facebook, and getting into these flame wars, or congregating yourself into a massive uh, sort of echo chamber of like thinkers. It's a choice, really, between informational anarchy, engaging in rhetorical warfare, going the other way, completely off, into the other direction, which I've started to do, regrettably, which is isolation. We are social creatures. We need to bounce things off people. We need to share things with people and interact with people, even, even if it is electronically. It does help. But if you're, if you're marching off into the echo chamber, you're, you're marching yourself off to sign up to be drafted as a proselyte and a militant and an activist, spreading the scripture around the matrix. If that's what you're doing, I mean, you're doing more harm than good. These small groups can be useful. But like she said, like Renee said, The idea of a global village is asinine. It's always been asinine. Even the idea of a localized village of, you know, a thousand people getting together to shout their thoughts and their opinions at the same time in the same place. It's ridiculous. I think that's going to be my next task. I think I've gone too far. I haven't given you a digital detox update in a long time. Uh, Twitter's still deactivated. I did reactivate it last week. I'm doing a little uh, sort of readjusting as far as uh, getting the podcast out there, my marketing. So I decided I'd fire it back up. Tried a few things and, like, no, nope, this is stupid. I can't stand this. I'm spending way too much time on Twitter. I can't stand just even being in it anymore. Typhoid Jack makes me itch.
4: Great. Hey. The city, built his house out of straw, what a pity, then one day, jamming on some cords, along came a wolf, knocking on his door, little pig, little pig let me in, by the hair of my chinny chin chin, little pig, little pig let me in, not
2: by the hair on your chinny chin chin.
0: fast forwarding back to uh, October 30th now and yeah, that's the podcast that's what I recorded last week a um, couple of things from this week a couple of things I wanted to add Justin Amash came out and he had one of the one of the most brilliant lines that I've heard in the last few weeks this guy really impresses me Amash. I I need to be careful of giving him too much credit. I, I half expect him to grow horns and a tail and start flying around above my apartment one of these days. But he came out and said that Tulsi Gabbard may be a Russian asset. She could possibly be, could be a Russian asset, but Hillary Clinton is most definitely, assuredly, a Donald Trump asset. Anything she says, anything this woman does, As far as the election goes, whenever she opens that mouth of hers and the forked tongue starts slithering out and spitting venom all over the body politic, all over the media, throughout the electronic media ecosystem, she becomes the best asset Donald Trump could possibly have if the Russians or anybody else are interfering in our electoral process. That makes her a de facto Russian agent herself, just by existing, just by being a thing in the national discourse. Hillary Clinton is an asset to both of them. She needs to shut the hell, go retire, go travel, man. Enjoy the fruits of a lifetime of public service, if that's what you want to call it. Get the hell out of the conversation. For the love of Christ, go away. You can't possibly be missing the connection here. I appreciate what you're saying about Tulsi Gabbard. I definitely appreciate what you said about Jill Stein. I do. But the disconnection cannot be so great in your mind. You're an intelligent woman. You cannot possibly not see the hypocrisy in calling someone else a Russian asset when you yourself are the same thing just by being who you are. The most hated woman in America not named Casey Anthony. Stop. Let this go. If you could somehow disembody your vagina, it would have A better path to victory than having it attached to your body and that mouth and that face. A disembodied Clinton vagina might garner more votes than the whole human being. Please, Hillary. Please. Bill, control your woman. A couple other notes I had here. Tulsi said something I actually agreed with, the uh, nonprofit debates uh, thing. She was criticizing the debate formats. She wants to get them away from CNN and have them held by a nonprofit. She said the League of Women Voters or something like that. I have no problem with that. I agree with that. In fact, I would love to see CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, all of them taken out of the equation, even NPR, to have them all taken out of that. I don't know how we would get moderators. <laughs> I really don't. But whatever. And I also think that we need, absolutely need, to get the crowd out of this. This live audience, this this live pandering distraction put in front of each and every one of these candidates at these debates. They're They're going for applause lines. They want the crowd to say, yeah, I support you, to give them the impression that they have national support, more national support than they really do get the live crowd out of the equation for the love of Christ. And something else she mentioned. she you know I played the clips about regime change wars, regime change wars, regime change wars over and over and over and over and over again. I want to know does she support Donald Trump's decision to leave Syria? Bring our troops back home, get out of Iraq, bring our troops back home, plant them back on native soil, send them home to their families, or at least back, have them you know stationed domestically. Does she support that? If she does, do we have common ground here? Have we found common ground? I've not heard this put forth or postulated yet. Is there common ground, though, between ending all of these military involvements overseas, places like Syria, in Iraq, you know, ending all of these foreign incursions, bringing our troops back home? Is there common ground between doing that, right? Saving all of that money and then using that money to uh, fund education or health care, you could actually bring all of these troops home and you could take a lot of that money and you could fund a huge portion of universal education, universal health care. Uh, just with the military budget, I find the criticism of Trump and his decision to get, his, to get the troops out of Syria, I find this odd because it seems to me that the Democrats, especially the green tea hippies, I don't know, 10 years ago, I remember going to a protest in New York City, uh, protesting the Iraq War, the incursion into Iraq. Now, why is it that most of my liberal friends are now pro-war? Why are they not cheering this? Why are they not cheering Donald Trump getting our people out of Syria when they didn't want to be there in the first place? I'm having a hard time remembering. It's almost like they're schizophrenic. They were passionately against this. 10, 15 years ago, were they against it so much when Obama sent them in? How did that work? And now that a Republican wants to take them out, now they want to stay? How's this working? Am I missing something here? If you think about it, if you think in terms of solutions and not just being a reactionary, you can get all the troops home, you shrink the military budget to the point where you don't even have to raise taxes that much to get universal education universal health care. What about Syria? What about the Kurds and ISIS? You know what? Europe. I do not disagree with Trump on this at all. I've been saying this longer than he has been a political entity. I want to see Europe stand the fuck up and take care of more of this. We're doing too much. There is a huge imbalance in expenditures, in handling the security, if that's what you want to call it, in some of these regions. One of the things that gets (laughs) gives my liberal friends a four-hour erection is talking and thinking about the standard living in Europe. These social democracies over there in Europe. We want to have what Europe has. Europe doesn't have a military budget. Not to speak of. Not anywhere compared to our military budget. Why is that?
4: Because we do it.
0: Trump is not wrong about this. looking at you, Germany, France, Britain. Yeah, maybe if you ponied up and took care of... I don't know, these these hot zones around the Middle East and other places around the world. There's a reason that Europe has a higher standard of living and more, I don't know, entitlements than we do. They don't spend the money on the military that we do because we spend it for them. We, We subsidize Europe's higher standard of living with our military. And now Trump is bringing them home at least out of one small region, one country, and saying, you know what? Hey, Europe, here you go. You don't like it? Come on down. Replace us. You spend the money. And Europe has a problem here because a lot of those countries, I don't know if you remember, a lot of austerity measures and things like that were taking place not so long ago, even without the military budget. Europe can't afford all of these entitlements. Yellow vest, protesters, and strikes. There was something going on in England not too long ago. They were trying to raise tuition, education costs, because they couldn't afford it. And, oh, my God, they started to throw a hissy fit. Can you imagine what would happen if Europe suddenly had to pay its share to protect itself that we've been paying for decades and decades and decades? What would happen to those entitlements? Then maybe we would be able to have some of what they had if we stopped subsidizing their higher standard of living with our military, with our military budget. I mean, you could look at it that way. It's not difficult to see it. It's not difficult to see the connection, seeing our tax dollars, our military budget. You don't even have to look at it like a military budget. All you got to do is look at it like, here you go, Germany. Here's your health care, Europe. If they had to defend themselves, if they had to go through a significant rearmament process, to protect themselves uh, from whatever's, whatever's gurgling forth out of the Middle East or from Putin if he decides he wants to chug towards Poland, move toward Europe. Because we're playing a lesser role. They would have to defend themselves. They would have to boost their military budget. What's going to happen to those, those entitlements, the free health care and the free education? They can barely afford it now. Then we can bring our people home, and maybe we can do something with health care. Maybe we can do something, not free education, but at least more subsidized education here for us. I do believe there is a common ground here. Let the rest of the world pay more of their shares so we have more money without having to jack the tax rate through the roof to pay for things. Here. It's a thought, huh? What else I got? Oh, they were talking in the podcast, too, about um, discrediting the media. So I was sitting here editing this today, and I uh, got to the part where they were talking about the media and how the uh, disinformation campaigns are working overtime to discredit the press here in the United States. I'm, I'm running into a block here because... It would be really simple, real easy, real simplistic to get your head around this if the media wasn't making it so easy on them. No matter what you do, you can find an example to support the narrative that the media is corrupt. If you're a liberal, all you have to do is look at Fox News. If you're a conservative, all you have to do is look anywhere but Fox News and you're going to find examples of product of profit-based ideological informational product put out to lure eyeballs to be put in front of advertisements. I've gone over all of this. The media makes this incredibly easy. They don't have to create the narrative. The narrative's already there because if you all you have to do is go off the reservation. Get out of the echo chamber, get out of the bubble, and you're going to see an example of this. Good luck fixing that. Good luck fixing the discrediting of the media. And people wonder why Trump has fertile ground for this message to resonate. Happens on the left as well. That's just as big of a problem as having any disinformation campaign target the credibility of the media, the media making it incredibly easy for them to pull that off. And finally, education. Uh, I had a conversation with my girlfriend a couple of weeks ago. We went up to Detroit, had a couple of hours in the car, got to talking about this stuff. And the only thing that's really going to be of any use, any solution moving forward, outside of abandoning uh, this new technology and, and, and cutting off access, instant, real-time access, global access to your device. Just getting rid of the iPhones, going back to a flip phone or something like that, getting rid of Facebook, getting rid of Twitter, that's never going to happen. We don't regress. The national myth is not one of regression. Okay, The only thing that's going to work is education. And I mean, I'm talking about starting young. It's imperative now that at some point we start in public education, public schools, every school, that we teach media education to children, young children, if cartoon advertisements are targeting them, if they're being targeted with commercials, they need to be educated about what advertising is, what propaganda is, how to be a more sophisticated media consumer, how to immunize themselves from childhood against this material. That is the only thing in the long term that's going to be a solution here. You've got to destroy the market for it. I don't know that that's possible. I, this may be a pie in the sky dream, but that's the only thing long term that's going to solve this problem. If we're going to have this sort of informational access. If everybody on the globe is going to be able to access these devices in our pie, and this is only going to get worse moving forward, the technology is going to keep advancing, keep getting more complex. If that's the case, then education, being a more sophisticated informational consumer, has got to develop with it. Or we are going to be living in a Huxleyan cage. Probably before the end of my lifetime. Definitely before your kids are dead and gone. I don't know how to do that. And I don't know what to do about people who have already grown. I don't know that you can teach people this after a certain age. I really don't. I think people get set in their ways. I I think it's going to be almost impossible to cut through that egocentric haze. It's like going into a church and forcing people to excommunicate themselves from their religion. How do you do that? Somebody's got to figure out a way to begin immunizing children against this if we're going to survive because the technology is going to overwhelm us at some point. The propaganda material is going to continue to evolve, get more sophisticated, wait till the deep fakes hit. Have I even talked about deep fakes on this show as of yet? They terrify the shit out of me. I think in the next probably five years, there are going to be videos out there. You're not going to be able to tell the difference if this person said this or didn't. Or if this actually happened or didn't. We've got to figure out a way to immunize ourselves from this material. To understand, to be able to question the stuff that we're constantly being bombarded with. The problem is, is that's going to have a side effect on advertising. <laughs> because if you, if you immunize and you sophisticate people against propaganda, you're also sophisticating them, if that's a word, against advertising. What happens to capitalism when advertising oh. So, <sighs> Yeah, I keep coming back to it, man. There just may not be a good solution here at all. Make sure you go check out their podcast, A Favor, your undivided attention, Center for Humane Technology, uh, Tristan Harris, Asa Raskin, Renee Deresta. It's good stuff. Highly encourage you to check out the rest of their material. Please, please, please do that. Check out my website as, t- as well, uh, escapingthecave.com, still with ChristopherMedia.net network as well. Fuck Twitter. I'm sitting here debating whether I should say. I... God. More material on the way. I keep saying that, then I don't do anything. Hmm. We'll see. How's that? Material's still there. I got like five piles of crap. I just, I don't want to say it. I don't want to lie to you again. I will do my best. How's that? Happy Halloween. Enjoy the candy. Thank you ever so much for clicking in. Always do appreciate that. And whatever it is, we'll talk to you next time. So long.